All right, we're in Matthew 7. We begin chapter 7 as we continue the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Let me read them and then we'll talk about them. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's maybe no accident that this section on judging immediately follows the teaching concerning our earthly uh, treasure and earthly wealth and whether we're investing it properly or not. Uh, It's easy for a Christian who has forsaken all to criticize uh, those who have not. And conversely, Christians who take seriously a duty to provide for the future needs of their families always tend to downplay the sacrificial giving that is commanded uh, by Jesus. And so... It's not the only reason why you would uh, talk about judging. It's not the only area we judge, but uh, quite honestly, Christians do compare themselves to one another. And uh, it's just, well, everybody, it's not just Christians. I mean, people were given to comparison and trying to figure out who were better than and who were worse than. And it becomes more competitive, I think, when you're Christian because uh, you're, you're, you know, there's a sense of wanting to make sure you're doing the right thing. Is this what God really wants me to do? And so you look at other people and you think, well, I'm better than them. You know, I, I, I live uh, more frugally and I give more. Or you say, well, yeah, you know, I, uh, but you're not going to have a future, and I am. And so, I mean, it's just one of those things that 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 we uh, uh, want to quit doing. And and uh, so the Lord says, hey, let's not judge one another. Uh, and then, of course, it's expansive. It means uh, more than that. It's not just judging in finances but uh, in material things, but in all areas of our Christian walk. Uh, the command to not judge others would include some of the following areas. Obviously, we should not judge motives because only God knows the heart. <clears throat> and a lot of times what we are judging is a person's motives. We're, we're assuming that we know why they're doing something, and we really don't. Uh, we should not judge by appearance. We read that in James chapter 2. There's a section there about uh, the outward appearance and pref- uh, preferring different people over others. We're, we're not to do that. And that's really hard in our society because appearance is uh, so important. Um, and then I think even as Christians, sometimes we go overboard the other way and we judge people who don't look as plain as we do. You know, it's like, hey, well, what are they doing buying this or having that? Or do you really need that many pair of shoes? You know, those kinds of things. And so we're, we're just, the truth is, as we get through this, we're given to judgment. We're just given to judgment and we want to be careful. We should not judge those who have conscience about matters of Christian liberty. Romans chapter 14, that uh, several times in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians and in Romans, Paul deals with the subject of Christian liberty, things that are not, clearly condemned in the Bible. I might have liberty to do them. Others don't. Uh, and usually people who don't have liberty judge people who do. Hey, I can't do that. I don't feel I have the freedom to do that. And so how can you? You know, that's just wrong for a Christian. And there are a lot of arguments about Christian liberty. Uh, by the way, the whole subject of Christian liberty is decided by love. I, if we love one another, we don't judge each other. And, and um, we look uh, to ourselves and not to others. 
And we shouldn't judge the service of another Christian, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, we, we shouldn't make judgments about whether somebody is uh, serving the Lord the way he wants them to. Uh, so just some thought. There's other areas that we don't want to judge in as well, but that gives you some idea. And so he says, judge not that you be not judged. And I, this really must be one of the most often misapplied verses in the Bible, because any time you've taken uh, and criticized someone or brought up an issue uh, or have a rebuke, uh, you're told to judge not. Uh, you know, whether it's on a personal basis, if I come to you or you come to me and and say something, uh, and I say, well, you're not supposed to judge. Or lots of times in a message, I'll bring up a situation and, uh, that's happening, and people say, well, that's judgmental, you know, and and you shouldn't be talking about that. Uh, but that's not what Jesus means. David Guzik writes and he says, as Christians, we're called to unconditional love, but not unconditional approval. We can love those people who do things we must strongly disapprove of. And so we're not to judge, but we are to be discerning. The New Testament has many illustrations of legitimate judgment of the condition or the conduct or the teaching of others. Uh, And sometimes we're commanded to make a decision and discriminate between good or bad or good and best. For example, When disputes arise among believers, and they do, Paul says they should be settled in the church before members who can decide the matter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and so there has to be some judgment there. Don't sue one another, don't go to open court, don't air your matters before the pagans and the Gentiles and the unbelievers. Um, Go to the church and say, hey, we we can't solve this dispute, Uh, and... uh, can you guys hear this? Why doesn't that happen more often? Because the kind of person that had that attitude probably wouldn't be in a dispute. You know, if you're the kind of person that says, man, I love you so much that I don't want to have this dispute with you, so let's, let's go let some of the church elders decide this for us. Well, uh, you're probably not going to be in a position where you need that. But, but if you are, the church is called upon to make judgment. The local ch- church is to judge serious sins of its members and take appropriate action. Uh, Matthew's Gospel will reveal that. 1 Corinthians 5 talks about what we, what I like to call church restoration now, but is typically called church discipline. And believers, all of us, are to judge the doctrinal teaching of teachers and preachers by the Word of God. Uh, we have a, a personal responsibility for ourselves and our families to make sure that what we're hearing on a regular basis lines up with the standard of Scripture We're all to be good Bereans, we like to say, because that's what the Bereans did when Paul taught. Uh, And they went and said, well, this is what Paul said. Let's look at the Bible for ourselves and make sure we think that lines up. And so there's a judgment that takes place there. So we are to judge in that sense of being discerning. And so we conclude that Jesus was describing judging people in a sinful and condemning way. And we might say it this way, judge when necessary, but don't become judgmental. And that's... You know, I don't know that I could define those terms, but I think we would understand that. Uh, there is a judging that should take place, but we don't want to be judgmental people who jump to conclusions, ascribe motives to people, uh, and those kinds of things. Verse 2 says, For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Did Jesus mean that this is how God will judge me? I have to say no because all my sins and judgment were borne by Jesus Christ on my behalf on the cross. And so this isn't God abandoning you to some, you know, in, in other words, if you, if, if you judge other people, then I'm going to start treating you that way. I, I, don't, I don't think that's what's being said. 
Did Jesus mean that if I judge others in harsh and condemning ways, they will return the favor? Well, that can be true in terms of a sowing and reaping. If that's what I sow, that's what I'm going to reap. But it's also true that people who are not judgmental uh, nevertheless become the object of judgmental condemnation. Uh, So there's not a direct correlation. In other words, I can't say that if I am not judgmental, I will never be judged this way by others. Chances are I will be because uh, the spiritual man who's walking with the Lord is always a target uh, and even within uh, the Christian church and among Christians. And so what I do in this verse, I hear kind of a hint of the golden rule. Since you don't want others to judge you in a sinful and condemning way, then you should treat them likewise. Uh, when I'm thinking about someone and trying to you know, figure out what their life is all about, I should think in terms of how I would want to be approached. Uh, and it's not so much about what will come back on me as it is how I should treat others regardless their treatment of me. And so just do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and you'll think, well, I don't want to be judged. You know, I, I don't want people to misunderstand my motives. Uh, I've thought this through. This is why I have 27 pair of shoes or one pair of shoes, you know, whatever the decision is, and, and, and apply that same kind of love uh, to others. Verse 3 says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Now, this is time to recall that the Lord worked as a carpenter. And sawdust and wood shavings were a constant danger to the naked eyes of the carpenter. There were no safety goggles, I don't think, back in those days. Maybe some of you may have seen archaeological digs where they came up with these goggles. It dawned on me the other day, you know, sometimes we read these stories in the Bible and, you know, people, they didn't recognize each other and stuff. And and you think, well, how could they not recognize? Well, just take your glasses off if you're old. I mean, I can't see anything three feet in front of me anymore and stuff, you know. So, I mean, they didn't have glasses. They didn't have safety goggles. No automatic eye wash station there in Jesus' little carpenter shop, you know. Uh, And um, he must have often got sawdust in his eyes. I mean, just because he's the Lord and he's the perfect man, the second man, doesn't mean he's not going to get sawdust in his eyes. It just means he's not going to cuss about it. Uh, you know, it's just, yeah, there's the vice. That's right. Yeah. And he may have had a shaving or two hit him as he worked with the wood. I remember years ago story. I've never forgot. There was a, this guy was, a the head usher over at Calvary by and uh, he and his family were camping and they were uh, getting firewood and kindling. And as he was splitting wood, one of the pieces just broke off and, and shot him in the eye, you know, and he had this piece of wood coming out of his eye and they had to rush him down and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the eye's a remarkable thing. It, he, he didn't go blind, which I don't understand now, but, um, and so I, I, I don't snap wood anymore after that. That did it for me, you know, and stuff. I didn't even know such a thing was possible, you know, but, uh, and so Jesus exaggerates the situation by saying that the entire plank you were planing or sawing jumped up and pierced your eyeball, but you didn't know it. It'd be like Darren does woodwork, you know, he's out in his garage and we're out for a walk and he'd be like, you know, and all of a sudden, this thing, you know, and we walk by and say, hey, and he kind of turns around and he's got this two by four coming out of his eye, you know, hey, no problem, you know. Of course, you sense even the smallest irritant in your physical eye. It drives me crazy when there's something in my eye. Uh, for lots of different reasons. But not so in your mind's eye. You see the faults of others with 20-20 vision, but your own faults, which are glaring to me, uh, flash in neon. 
so my faults are somewhat difficult. I always ascribe myself the best motives and intentions. I actually tolerate my own sins. I convince myself that I won't do them anymore or that my temptations are greater than yours and so my faults are justifiable. Those are just some of the ways that we think. It's like, well, yeah, I'm doing the same thing you're doing, but it's because of this or I'm going to quit or I've got a handle on it and stuff, but you, you know, you, you're, you're just in sin. You know, you don't, there's no reason for you to be doing that. I might even think that if I judge you for the same sin I am guilty of, that it somehow exonerates me. I remember uh, Gail Irwin, uh, when, uh, back when Jimmy Swagger had fallen into sexual sin, he made the comment that, uh, not always, but he said, but a lot of times, if somebody is always, always talking about the same thing over and over again and condemning people for it, maybe they're having a problem with it and they're really kind of preaching to themselves. And I, I remember for a long time Jimmy Swaggart, I mean, of course, it's, it's, you know, it's something that we should be talking out against, but he was really, you know, the heart of his message was always sexual sin, you know, and how awful it was. And, and of course, he was involved in it and stuff. Not always true, but sometimes. And so um, just to say that I can have this beam in my eye and, and still be more concerned about the speck in your eye. He says in verse 4, How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. And this is meant to be comical. It's, it's really, if you flesh this out in your mind, it's like a slapstick routine. With a plank sticking out of your eye, let's say it's a 2 by 4 uh, by 6, you'd never be able to get close enough to help your brother with his tiny speck. You know, let's say Wendy comes out of the, you know, uh, she's got a jalapeno seed in her eye, you know, and she really needs help, you know, and Darren looks up and he's got a six foot long two by four. Well, he's, first of all, he's going to be knocking stuff down in his garage, because I've seen his garage, and, uh, you know, it, and he's not going to be able to get even close enough to Wendy, and as he does, he's going to be hitting her in the head, and I mean, he's going to actually do more damage and injure her further in the process. You would do more damage than the speck in the eye ever would. And that's really, I think, a key thought. You injure the person further. Until you deal with your own glaring fault, you'll only injure other believers you think you are helping. Once you remove the plank from your own eye, then you can approach them delicately as you would anyone who needed you to look to their eye for an irritant. You'll want to wash them and restore them rather than slant, you know, unintentionally, let's say, slam them over the head. And I like the illustration of the eye because it's a, you know, it's a sensitive kind of a thing. I mean, we're worried about our eyes. We're concerned about it. You know, we don't think about them too much until something happens and it's like, man, I don't want to go blind. You know, do I have a sliver in my eye? Is it cutting, you know, is it scratching my cornea? What's going on with my eye? Be careful when you're looking in there. Uh, you know, you, you don't... Uh, I don't want anybody with tweezers coming close to my eye. I see it. Let me, you know, so I just, this is a doctor situation now, you know. Uh, maybe it's no safer, but at least there's somebody I could sue, you know. I mean, I, I don't want you to be doing that and stuff. And, and so, uh, you know, that's the approach we should have. And if we've got these glaring faults in our own life, we're not going to be able to get close enough to really help anybody. And so he says in verse 5, you're a hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The word Jesus used for speck indicates it's of the exact material as the plank. Often I see in others, or I project onto others, the very things I am struggling against, and that's why I can see them so clearly in the lives of other people. King David is a prime example of this in Scripture. 
he had sinned heinously by taking Bathsheba to his bed and then arranging for her husband Uriah to be killed in battle. It was all to cover up the fact that Bathsheba was pregnant with David's child. The prophet Nathan came to him and said, David, we've got a problem. There's a rich man who has, lost, uh, who has all sorts of sheep. Excuse me. Someone came to visit him, and instead of going out to his own herds and taking one of his many lambs, he went to his neighbor who was poor and grabbed his neighbor's one and only lamb and killed that lamb to serve to his guest. Outraged, David said, the man who has done this thing shall surely die. Even though the Old Testament law didn't prescribe death as the penalty for this kind of thing, yet David said, that's so, I, just that guy needs to be killed. I'm the king. I think he should be killed. And then Nathan said, well, David, it's you. You're the man. It's a parable. You have many wives, many concubines, and instead you had to reach out and take Bathsheba, the only wife of Uriah the Hittite, and then kill him. Uh, and David was busted. You're the man, David. And it's an example of having this plank in your own eye and yet thinking that you could help someone else with the speck in their own eye. And, and uh, David, of course, reflecting on this in Psalm 51, verses 10 and 13, gives a commentary on what Jesus is saying here. David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. So in other words, once he had dealt with that sin in his life, once he got the plank out of his eye, then he could uh, properly judge a situation, then he could really minister to people. So after I remove whatever the plank is in my eye, I can help others with their specs, but not before. And so ultimately it's an attitude adjustment. I do unto others as I would have them do unto me, and this carries over into this area of judgment, personal judgment. And then with that attitude, I'm going to go to them in love, with grace, showing mercy, ready to forgive, always hoping to restore, which is kind of the opposite of ju being judgmental. I don't want to judge somebody and leave them condemned. If there's a problem, a real problem, and I'm seeing it correctly, then I'm going to want to restore them and go to them and say, hey, this, you know, this seems to be a problem in your life. Can, can I help you? Can I pray for you? Can I restore you so that you can continue to walk with the Lord and not be stumbled?